as we're rolling forward now, do you realize that by the time we should be giving out a certificate at the end of this class? <laughs> we will have been completing six hours in shepherdology. <laughs> Six hours on the 23rd Psalm. I think that is just fabulous. Uh, and, and I keep finding stuff. And if you're listening, again, if you're listening, we have all these sprinklings even in general conference of, of stuff about this. But there is so much more packed into this. And, and I'm not even giving, we're not even getting into all of the sheep references, just the ones that have allusions back to the 23rd Psalm. But in doing that, we're being exposed to first century uh, Judaism and the, and the things that shaped them and how they saw the world. Uh, and so I think it's been an incredibly valuable. Uh, I mean, we're going to start getting to some of the parables next week. Um, but uh, th this has just been uh, terrific, I think. Uh, hopefully nobody's getting sheep fatigue <laughs> yet. <laughs> no sheep fatigue yet. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So now in the midst of all of this, uh, we have been, uh, the, the majority of the places that we've been finding our sheep references have been obviously in the Psalms. We looked a little bit at Ezekiel. I didn't even get into Jeremiah. Uh, and then we've gotten Mark and we've gotten Luke and everything. Well, now John's going to chime in uh, on, on this same thing. Now, just a reminder about the book of John. Gospel of John. Uh, authorship of the book of John is still a bit of a question. We have, by tradition, we have tended to believe that this was the this was one of the twelve. Uh, a lot of the early saints believed that the book of John was authored by that that apostle. Um, some of his stories and references suggest that it's probably him, where he was and what he saw. Uh, but we still don't know, for instance, authorship, it could be the stories of Paul written by somebody else. Because the one concern that, that, that uh, they have about the book of John is the same one that we have for the book of Peter. And that is, wow, this is really high Greek for, she, for uh, fishermen. <laughs> you know, that this is a high level of Greek for somebody that probably spoke Aramaic. And Greek is a second language. So, so some of this, and the fact also that uh, the, book, the book of John is written later. Uh, we think it was probably written in Ephesus. Uh, tradition has it that John made his way to Ephesus. Uh, tradition in, in Ephesus is that John brought Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, to Ephesus. Um, when we talk about Ephesus, we'll, we'll go into that in a lot more detail. Uh, but also that it was written late in the first century, about 90 A.D. So we're talking 60 years after uh, the Savior's ministry. Uh, John would be older <laughs> by then, uh, depending on how long you're going to keep on living, right? Uh, but still a sense that we don't know if this is... Uh, and in fact, uh, at, at BYU, one of the authors that I like to listen to is a wonderful man by the name of Eric Huntsman. Eric is writing the, the book on the book of John. He just published one on discipleship, but he's actually coming out with a commentary on the book of John. And in our last class this last summer, uh, Eric said, I'm almost ready to declare who I think wrote the book of John, but I'm not quite there yet. And this is somebody who's going through the ancient Greek writings and just trying to determine, do we really think it was him? Um, and he's going to have a completely different style because about 90% of his text is unique to the book of John. The other, the other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call the synoptic gospels because they share so much information among them. The book of John is interesting because 90% is original. John will take two chapters on a single person. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, John will spend about 50%, almost 60% of his entire book is on the last week of, of Christ. 
So he goes heavy on the passion and and the resurrection. And you get you get almost that where where Matthew was written was a Jew writing to Jews. Uh, Luke we think was a Gentile writing to Gentiles. Mark was performed as a play. John is written to believers. John would almost be the doctrine and covenants of the Book of Mormon. You know, it is, here's the step up doctrinal-wise. Um, the, the technical term uh, that you'll, you can walk out of here and say, we were studying about advanced Christology. This is a higher level of Christology. Well, what does that mean? It just means this is a higher validation of the Christ uh, of, who is Jehovah. We're raising the level of who Jesus was. So this is kind of a little, this is the graduate course John, John is. Okay? And, it, and it doubles down on love and caring and those kind of things. Yeah. If he was immortal on the earth, don't you think he could have learned Greek? quite well and written it himself. Could have. Yeah, she says if he's going to hang around long enough on the earth that he might have taken a few courses in Greek and got better at his Greek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think when the scholars are looking at it, they're saying there's a level of Greek here that almost begin to match up with, with Plato and Aristotle and stuff like that. It is a very kind of a very intelligent Greek. And he could have, he certainly could have learned that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's, that's the Gospel of John. Okay, now, so when we get to uh, John, in John 10, this is going to be John's, uh, he's going to be citing the Savior talking about the Good Shepherd, but it doesn't occur anywhere else. Again, this is, this is unique to John. Uh, and watch, watch how this is, this is phrased. This is a remor remarkable story that spans two chapters. It's one continuous story that begins in John 8 and it finishes halfway through John 10. Where, like with Mark, remember, Mark would go, well, he taught the good news in Galilee. And the next day he was in Jerusalem and he shared the good news over here. And it was just like all these little, fast little kind of MTV vignette things. Well, John is going to give us this long, connected peace and conversations spanning two chapters and, and it actually begins with the woman taken in adultery. Yeah. Would John have had those other accounts to look at? Yes. Yeah, she's saying, would John have had the other accounts to look at? Yes, because he's the, one, he's the last one written. So he actually probably has Matthew's account in front of him and Luke's account of it. And, and, and he's doing that. But it's interesting, he's not choosing to use them. So either they weren't in the other accounts, uh, or they were in the accounts they were just left out. This case, he's just going, he's about to describe something we just don't find anywhere else. Okay? That's what makes John kind of fascinating. So, this story of the Good Shepherd in John 10 begins with the woman taken in adultery that is dragged into the temple environs uh, by, the, by the leadership. Um, in fact, in between sessions, they were showing the video again of the woman taken in adultery, and she's being dragged in front of him. And, and I just love the look on the on the uh, Pharisees' face when they're going, "She was taken in the very act of adultery." And I'm thinking, well, there would have been somebody else there. <laughs> How come you're not bringing the man and the woman? You're just hauling up the woman. Like, well, he was a man, and so we're letting him off the hook, and the woman gets the brunt of this. Now, this was, this was a setup to, to embarrass the Savior and to attack him on this, and at the same time, humiliate this woman uh, in the way that they did that. It's just amazing how bad it is. Okay, yeah? What I really like about that story of the Savior and the woman yeah. is that after everybody left, and um, he told her, he, he, uh, he, was a, he had the opportunity to give her a one-on-one -on -one about the error of her ways. Yeah. And he didn't. He just told her, I forget, just go on, where are your accusers? You Where are your accusers? None, Lord. Well, go on and neither do I accuse thee. Now, now, you know that she's got a hard time changing her life going forward. 
to change everything that she's doing. But I love that moment. I, I just do. And I think that's sometimes when we're looking at repentance, you figure out how fast can repentance occur? The actual act of forgiveness, I think, action can happen pretty fast. Now, the changing of a life and the changing of hearts, that is a, that is a longer battle. Okay? All right. So the woman's taking the adultery, and then it's going to flow right in. Now he's still in the temple. The next thing, he's going to heal the blind man on the Sabbath. These are all part of the same story. He's going to go from there. He walks over. There's the blind man. Um, and the woman that was taken in adultery was on the Sabbath. What were they doing hiring a woman on the Sabbath? <laughs> Whoa, yeah, I just suddenly realized how far over the line the uh, Sanhedrin was because they were doing it all on the Sabbath. Uh, which they, He's healing on the Sabbath, they're sinning on the Sabbath. That's, that's worse. Wow. <laughs> okay, anyway, where were we? Yes. <laughs> the, <laughs> The healing of the blind man on the Sabbath. Then what's going to happen? Well, the temple leaders are throwing the former blind man out of the temple after they've already dragged his parents in to make sure, was he always really that way? No, you're going to have to ask him. He's, he's accountable. He's old enough. You ask him. Don't put us in the middle of this. We're out of here. Okay. And so who healed you? Well, it had to be the Christ because I can now see. Okay. So they're then throwing him out of the temple, the fold. They're throwing him out of the sheepfold. Then you've got uh, by the way, then you've got the Savior tracking him down. He just heard him being thrown out. The Savior's going to go and say who healed you? I don't know, but he's the Christ. Well, he that stands before you is the one who healed. Well, then you're the Christ. Okay, and he bears witness of him. Okay, so that's all the backdrop. That, that we're, this is the picture that's being painted now before. And then the Pharisees then say to him, Are we blind also? Are we blind also? And he says, well, you're sinning. Your, your sin still remains. You haven't been forgiven because you hired an adulteress on the Sabbath. No. Um, yes, your sin remains. And then he goes right from that into the good shepherd. So put that, put that whole thing in context. We get to the good shepherd. Now, the climax of all of this then is the recasting of the 23rd Psalm and Jesus claiming the title of the shepherd from the psalm. I am not just a shepherd. I'm not just a pastor. I'm not just a rabbi. I am the shepherd. And to do that, he's going to then recast and retell the 23rd Psalm with more details. But there's going to be one important difference in this retelling for the first time in any of the tellings and all the way through. There's going to be one major difference in this retelling of the Good Shepherd. And in this case it is the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Not only is there the good shepherd, but this one will die. Now, the setup for that one is kind of glorious here. So, uh, Wendy, you want to read that for us? <laughs> Give me a second. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 wanted, I wanted you to see... Okay, there, there's the entire text of this thing. Now, you have to recast it one other way. And that is, so now we have this long run-up to the story. and then, But now you have to look at it a just a little bit differently. The first half of the story is actually going to be morning in the village. This is morning time in the village. And in a sense, it's going to be before Jesus has come. Then after about verse 6, we're going to get 
daytime and night at the, at the mountain pasture. Which is going to correspond to the Savior's ministry and his death from the wolf. Okay. So there's, there's two, you're going to picture two scenes associated with this. If you read this quickly, you'll miss out on the fact that there are two stories that are being put side by side here. That's why this is a very, this is a very kind of complex Greek writing and it's beautifully done. Um, okay, so let's, let's start then with the morning in the village. So this is the first half of, of the story. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever does not enter through the door of the sheepfold but climbs in from another way is a thief and a robber. Uh, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, now, so you have to kind of start with the idea that during the course of a day, Especially in the, the rainy months in uh, Israel run from about November through about February. Everything is green during kind of the winter time in Israel. Uh, so at that point then the pastures are, everything is green and it's, and it's easy to play, find places for the sheep to feed. Now... For those sheep being kept in a village, remember if they have a small flock, one or two sheep, where are they kept? At home, in the back in the manger, the back of the house. And that door is shut. Uh, if you're, if you're going to have a group of you, let's say you have several extended families together, you may have a joint uh, sheepfold inside the village. And, but it may be locked into an a high enclosure uh, and you're going to have a steward, a porter that stands and guards that gate every night because in the, in the, uh, the main danger inside the village is going to be from thieves. If they're hungry, what they're going to do is try and climb up and over the wall and get in and steal a sheep and take off, take it off to eat it. That's why if it, if you can have an enclosed enclosure like the ba the manger on the back of the house or something like that, and you can have a high door, then you can prevent the sheep for the thieves to get in. But in order to get to them, they're going to have to climb up and over and get in, uh, and that's what you're guarding against. Okay, so anybody that's getting to the sheep at that point uh, is going to be a thief or a robber because they're trying to steal. The only purpose they have for that sheep is just kind of steal one at a time. Okay, so, uh, but he who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So picture in the morning. Uh, let's say that you have a, a enclosure and you've got like a group of sheep. The shepherd, the owner of the sheep, is going to come to the door and just call in. I'm here. And then the, and the, the porter is going to open the door and let them out. Okay? Why? Because they're about to get... Where are they going? Yeah, they're going to find pasture. Uh, they, they weren't making bales of hay. It isn't like they're feeding them while they're at night inside the enclosure. They're pretty hungry. And so they're ready, to, when the shepherd shows up, they're ready to follow him out to pasture because they're, they're not eating during the night. Or they're not eating very much. They're, they're really hungry. Okay, so now they're going to, the shepherd's going to come to the door. I'm here. Great. Open the door. And then they're going to follow out. Now, what also happens though at this moment, so now you have to kind of picture maybe even as you were driving here, we have morning rush hour, right? That is, everybody's trying to get to their places all at the same time. And so suddenly, Custer, which during the day is not so bad, you try and drive out there about 5 o'clock and it's a lot of congestion. 75 is just off the charts. Okay? Think about rush hour in the village. 
what happens when every group of sheep, <laughs> whether they're small, just a couple here, or you have a larger group, and all of those guys are all on their way at the break of dawn out to find pastures? What have you got in the streets of a, of a narrow streeted village? Just sheep. Yeah, it's, 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 it's sheep congestion. <clears throat> I told Cindy they were filled with all little Lamborghinis. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it's it's sheep congestion, <laughs> okay? Um, and so now he's going to call to the sheep. The doorkeeper opens to him, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep out by name, and he leads them out. So they're going to follow his voice in the middle of sheep congestion. <laughs> which, is, which is really fascinating. It's not, just, it's not just we can see him. It's not, and he could even be saying the same thing, but it's the timber of his voice, it's the sound of his voice, it's specifically him in the middle of a lot of competing voices all going on simultaneously inside the sheep congestion. Can, can you picture that? Morning in the village. With all the competing voices and all the competing flocks on their way out to be fed. Okay. When he has brought out all his sheep, he goes in front of them and the sheep follow him because, and this is so, going to be so critical here, because they know his voice. They, they're responding to a voice. And we could take a lot of time to kind of talk about prayer and promptings and inspiration about the, the, the sheep recognize his voice above all other voices. It is interesting. I did something a, a few years ago at, uh, at BYU. I had, a, uh, I had a large class, and I wanted to kind of demonstrate something along this line. And I had, had a, a lady come down, volunteer, and I had her sit on a chair right in front of the large class. And then I had her pick out about 15 people that she knew or that would be willing to volunteer. So then I had those 15 all standing around her. Uh, and then I said to the others, uh, I said, um, well, I said to her, tell me, the, if you're beating up on yourself, what kind of things do you say to yourself? Well, I'm not very smart. I'm kind of stupid. You know, nobody likes me. We got all of these great little stories, okay, these little phrases, okay? And I assigned one of those to everybody. And then I said to one of them, um, I want you to be the positive voice in the middle of all of this. She said, okay, I can tell her how pretty she is and how smart she is. Okay, great. Okay. Then I had them all surround her all at the same time. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna, I want you to all kind of shout out your stuff to her all simultaneously. One, two, three, go. And they're all saying things and telling her things, and it's all at the same time. Okay? Then I said, okay, stop. They all quit. Then I said, quick, which voice did you hear? She could not hear the positive voices. All she could hear was just nothing but negative. Being able to pick out and hear, and I've actually now done that in reverse also. All the positive voices, and then I will have one do negative. One, two, three, go. They all talk. And every time they always hear the negative voice, not the positive. Sometimes I hear that with people that are struggling with depression, where um, we'll name the depression. We'll call your depression Bob. <laughs> and Bob is going to be talking to you whenever you're depressed. And you may have all these other voices everybody else thinking how wonderful you are and Bob is telling you how bad you are which voice are you hearing? Yeah, it's amazing how we hear the one negative voice. And so being able to screen out all the other voices is it takes a talent and it takes an ability. Now, I noticed that 
See, they won't follow a stranger, but they'll flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So I guess the question to be asking for us personally is, what voice are we listening to? What voice do we tend to listen to? Of all the voices we could be choosing. Think about our teens. Which voices are they hearing? Which voices are they screening out? Yes, lady in back. <laughs> that reminds me when I was growing up and out in the area that we were, everybody had cows. And I always heard the uh, warning that when you wanted to feed your cows or you wanted your cows to come and be fed, that it was really easy to honk the horn because the cows would come running, but that you should not do that because the cows would come for its den for any horn that was honked. And, uh, and I've seen people do that. The cows would Right. And if we're not speaking, they're going to hear other voices anyway. Yeah. You want a great youth lesson or a home evening lesson? That's a great one. Okay, so I'll give you an example of that. Teacher in Israel. I asked some students if in their earlier years they had herded sheep. Some of them had. Their personal experience was a great help to all of us. I asked what was involved when they acquired a new sheep. Uh, Avidas explained that the new sheep needed to be trained to listen to the new voice. Early each morning, that morning in the village, the flock starts to get excited because they've had nothing to eat for 14 hours or more. In addition to being hungry, they are restless from being cooped up all night. As daylight increases, they gradually become more and more active and eager. Finally, they hear the shepherd's voice outside the barred sheepfold door. As soon as the door is opened by a member of the family, the shepherd calls the animals again and they rush out eagerly anticipating a new day full of lush grass, fresh mountain air, shady trees, and a rest beside peaceful waters. But for the unfortunate new sheep, uh, and listen to this, the voice or the call is wrong. They don't yet know the voice of the shepherd. It cannot go to the party. What happens to that poor animal, I asked. It has a temporary nervous breakdown, <laughs> replied Avidus, as he carefully explained that the new sheep runs around and around, banging its head against the rough stone walls of the sheepfold, emitting a stream of pitiful, heartbreaking cries. It needs a few days of therapy to retrain its ear to recognize the voice of the new shepherd. Tell me that isn't the life of a 13-year-old. <laughs> Trying desperately to figure out what voice to follow. What voice will lead them to green pastures and what voice just sounds kind of exciting. And there is a certain temporary insanity among 13-year-olds anyway. It's not only really yeah, but maybe yeah. <laughs> People. Yeah, they're going to confuse them, and yeah, they don't know what to do. It just—it's it, hard. Okay. Well, so that's from Kenneth Bailey and the Good Shepherd. Okay, so that's that's the morning. The morning involves then taking all of the sheep out of there, and that now here's here's where this becomes a little bit more of a challenge then. Uh, The, the, uh, because of the rains come mainly kind of November-ish in through about February, in the, uh, during the middle of the winter, they don't have to travel very far to be able to go out and find green pasture for the sheep and then bring them back at night. As you begin to roll into the spring and summer, uh, those green pastures are farther and farther away. And now instead of keeping them in the village, 
you're probably going to be now looking for high mountain pastures much farther from the village and it's not a one-day trip back. Now is when you hear about shepherds and they're taking them into the mountains for the summer. There's a reason because all the pastures close to the village have all been chewed up. Now they've got to go into high mountain pastures. So now they're in the wilderness. So the afternoon is the sheep have been taken from this fold and now they're going to be taken out into the wilderness. Start thinking about the children of Israel being taken away from the little sheep folds in Egypt where they were starving. And now we're going to take them out into the wilderness. Okay, And they're going to be led by the shepherd. They're following him out knowing that he will protect them. He's got his staff and his rod and he knows where the green pastures are. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you, you begin to get that in mind. Jesus spoke unto them again. So here's kind of the break in the story here. Truly, truly, I say unto you that I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Now, where's the door? It's right there. But because you're in the wilderness, and you're not coming back to this, this place that has kind of a heavy wooden door inside the village, uh, who's going to provide the door for the sheep in the fold? The shepherd does. Okay? So, with that done then, so all who came before me were thieves and robbers. I am the door. And then, if anyone enters through me, they've got to come through me, they will be saved. And he will enter and exit and find pasture. So there's a sense that with me as the door, there's a freedom to come and go. Freedom to move around. And they are going to find pasture. Um, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and ruin. I have come in order that they may have life and have it abundantly. They're, they choose to come back and forth and everything. By the way, so when we're talking about the children of Israel, did they have a sheepfold in the wilderness? And a door? The temple? Sure, the tabernacle. Tabernacle. Okay, there's a temporary place in the wilderness with all of the stuff that's out there. There was a place they could come in for safety. And there was a, but you have to come through the door. You had to come in underneath the rod of the covenant. He's got his rod. And remember, you're going to pass under there. You've got to be clean and cleansed to be able to come into the tabernacle in the wilderness. I mean, there's, there's real illusions here. Now, the temple theology begins to really kind of show up here in a really big way, I think. So in this afternoon, we're in the wilderness. Uh, I, where, where thieves, everybody else that's come before to try and lead the sheep, they were really there to steal and kill and ruin. Remember in Ezekiel, we, we kept talking about bad shepherds. And sometimes then there were bad sheep that weren't willing to come and go and, and do the right things. Okay? But now, for the first time, I am the good shepherd. And then he's going to give you this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, there's quite a little drama that's about to be played out here. Um, if you'll stay with this. Okay? So, scene one. There's two scenes. Here's scene one. He who is a servant and not a shepherd, who is not with his own sheep, sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. Now, you kind of don't just read that quickly. You got to kind of think about it and put the imagery behind this. And that is in this high mountain area 
where you have this temporary sheepfold. And it's the job of the shepherd to stand in, at the gate to be the door. But it's not, they're not his sheep. He's not invested in the sheep. He's just being paid. He's a hired hand. Now, what happens is, he's got the sheep, he's blocking the doorway, he looks up and what does he see? The wolf. Here comes the wolf. And as the wolf is coming, he can see, and, and he sees the sheep, and he sees the wolf, and he's going to come, and what does he do? He runs. He abandons the sheep and flees, and in doing that, he leaves the sheep completely vulnerable to the wolf. Now, when the wolf is going to come into the sheep fold, you got a lot of sheep, and, and maybe a wolf or two, and they're going to come in and they're going to start tearing and killing and maiming the sheep. What happens to the rest of the sheep? They run. They run. So you're getting this cacophonous scene of, of the wolves killing some sheep and the rest of the wolves are heading off to wherever they need to go to try and find safety on their own. Does that remind you of any scenes from Israelite history? What happened about the time of Lehi? What was going on? The Babylonians were come. Were some killed? Yes. What happened to the rest of the sheep? They were scattered. What happens at the time of the Roman rebellion? Uh, the rebellion against Roman is 30 years from this point. The zealots rise up. They begin to attack. The might of Rome falls on them. Were a lot killed? Yeah. Thousands and thousands and thousands were crucified. What happened to the rest of the sheep? They, they, some were hauled off and the rest scattered. Uh, and it was that scattering that again, it's why at the time of Jesus, there was about a million Jews in Israel, but there were also about a million Jews in Babylon. And there was about another million Jews in, in northern Africa, around Alexandria. Okay, the Jews, had, the Jews had been scattered. The sheep had been scattered when the wolf came. And who was supposed to protect them? The hirelings. And the hirelings weren't interested in protecting the sheep. They were just interested in running when danger came. So, now, remember, who, who's Jesus telling this to? The Pharisees standing. Are we blind also? Yeah, let me tell you how. And he's all, so he's also foreshadowing what, what will happen 30 years later. Okay? That's why this is all an amazing story here. Okay? Now, the wolf seizes them and scatters them. Because he is a servant and does not care for the sheep, he runs away. And you guys just kicked a, a restored blind man with a miracle out of the temple. So, that's pretty heavy indictment. Okay, so that's scene one. Here comes scene two, though. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, even I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, let's take the scenario over again. Same story. The wolf is seen coming. The, the, uh, the, the Savior is the door. He's standing and he's sitting and he's guarding the pathway into the sheepfold. The wolf is coming. And in this time, what does the shepherd do? 
He protects his sheep. He protects his sheep by doing what? He's going to lie. He's going to lay his life down for the sheep. The wolf kills the shepherd. The shepherd is killed by the wolf. But what's missing here? Who's the wolf? Hold on to that idea. <laughs> in order to get to that though, in order to understand who the wolf is, because that's the right question to be asking, in, in scene one, what happens to the sheep? They're, they're killed and they're scattered. What's happening in scene two? The wolf comes, the wolf kills the shepherd, he lays his life down for the sheep, and then what? There's no explanation, there's no setting that says the sheep were killed. In other words, think of, so logically walk through this. Somehow in the act of giving his life for the sheep, the sheep are saved, but he's killed. It isn't like he, he lays down his life and protects the sheep and he kills the wolf. No, the shepherd's killed. He's dead. But the sheep are saved. How? So, so the question is, how does the laying down of the, the shepherd being, being willing to die, killed by the wolf, actually save the sheep? Go ahead. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. The wolf is now satisfied. Isn't that what Satan wants? He just wants. But why would he be satisfied? Because he didn't come to eat the shepherd. He came to eat the sheep. It's just pork chops are better, right? Justice. Okay. So how does the death of the shepherd save the sheep? Now, now, Wendy, ask your question. Oh. Who's the wolf? Justice. Who's the wolf? Justice. Could be justice. More likely it is death. The wolf is death. In, this, in the laying down his life for the sheep, who has he defeated? Death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? In this setting, the death of the shepherd saves the sheep because it defeats the wolf. If you understand that the wolf in this case is not Babylon, it's not Rome, even though you might look at it originally and say, who kills the shepherd? Well, it's sort of Rome. You know, the crucifixion roams the wolf. The, the death of the, of, the, of the shepherd saves the sheep, and what he's defeating is death mm. and sin. Does, does that make sense? That's why, this is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may do what? Take it up again. The, the, another, the wolf is defeated because even though I'm killed, I raise again from the dead. I will be resurrected. No one takes it from me. The wolf didn't really kill me. I laid down my life to protect the sheep, but I can do that because I then raised it up, and in doing that, we defeated the wolf. Wow. That, that kind of an amazing thing. Now, part of what makes this fascinating, if you're, if you're taking the, the imagery forward, Look at what's also happened right at this moment where the shepherd is, is, is dying. It's the one place where the, the, the shepherd dies. To the, to the sheep, who does the Savior represent? 
the shepherd, right? He's the shepherd that will protect them and gives his life for them. But the Savior has also introduced one other actor to this, to this little drama here. Who else has also been added? The Father. the Father. I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep. They know me just as the Father knows me. And, and I, even I know the Father. To the sheep... The Savior is the shepherd to the Father who is, who is Jesus. The Lamb. Yes. He's the Lamb of God. All at once, at this moment, you're going to get this powerful dual image of the Savior who is the, is the shepherd who will die for his sheep. But in doing that, he will also be the Paschal Lamb. He will be the Lamb slain for the world. He becomes the shepherd and, and, the, and the Lamb. Both. To the Father, he is the Lamb. To the sheep, he is the shepherd. He is the Father and the Son. Both. At the same time. Isn't that amazing? Well, the, the sheep are, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep when there's a wolf or something threatening them, but they're absolutely terrified. Yeah. You know, you talk about being insane, a 13-year-old, so they are totally terrified and everything. But in the end, what are they afraid of? You know, and you're saying the wolf, the wolf, but the wolf is really all of the false teachings, the... Uh, the things that they don't understand. The Savior has come to save them. And, and in order for us to be saved, we must accept His gospel. You know, that we love, that we don't. Right. You know, that we're, the fear is taken away from us as we trust the Lord. You know, and um, I feel like I'm getting lost in Well, th th think about in the Book of Mormon when, um, when the anti Nephi Lehi's. Uh, are attacked by their fellow Lamanites. And they are attacked, and what do they do? They lay down their life for their sheep, for the lambs, for, the, for their kids who become the stripling warriors. They're going to lay down their life for, for them. And, and then there's a comment by uh, Mormon in there that says, but their death was sweet to them because they knew in who they trusted. So the fear of death and the fear of what was coming is swallowed up in the fact as they laid down their life uh, for their sheep, the wolf had no terror for them. But they gained a greater vision that uh, their vision is small in the beginning they're um, focusing on what they're afraid of but as their vision expands and they see life with capital L what it's really all yeah what, what, what it's all about yeah then it, the death is still there and yeah. they do die but they would rather die than uh, hurt or kill or transfer these terrors and stuff to someone else. Yeah. And rather than do that, they would fall. Right. <laughs> so though the, those that pass having an understanding of what's coming, the terror of that is taken away. The enemy never was the Romans. Never was. The no, because at the end of this, the Romans are still in charge, right? After the crucifixion, they're still there. What has been defeated, though, is the is death and the terror of death, and and sin. Okay. And around false leaders, false shepherds, and the Pharisees that are then what the bad sheep, bad shepherds who are listening to this whole conversation, right? Okay. Oh gosh, I'll go fifteen minutes. Um, He, he will throw one other thing in here. Let's make sure that we don't forget this. At the end of this, he's going to say, and I, by the way, and I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold, and I must lead them to, and they will do something interesting. They will hear my voice. 
so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. But it doesn't say one sheepfold. It's one flock with a lot of different sheepfolds. That matches up with 3rd Nephi, right? Verily I say unto you, they are not of this. Ye are they of whom I said, other sheep I have. Okay? And, the, and they understood me not, for they supposed that it had been the Gentiles. For they understood not that the Gentiles should be converted through their preaching. They understood me not that I said, they shall hear my voice. They will hear the voice of the shepherd. The Gentiles will be converted through good shepherds. And we'll, we're going to finish with that in a second. But behold, ye have both heard my voice and seen me and ye are my sheep and you are numbered among those whom the Father hath given me. Without getting too complicated just as a side note um, and we'll talk about this a lot more I think this fall um, there's been a belief for instance that that those that were Jewish uh, and that first generation of the church then believed when they became Christian they were going to kind of leave Judaism behind and be, now become Christians. And so Paul starts out as somebody who was zealous in the law and then he's going to abandon the law because he's now a Christian. In a sense he's no longer Jewish. Uh, most prominent writers including uh, N.T. Wright that Elder Christofferson quoted believes that um, Christianity was seen as by Paul and Peter and others as joining Judaism that it, all of the blessings of the sheepfold they were being invited into the fold they weren't abandoning the original promises of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob they were being invited to it and it was a restoration and inviting back he brings me back into the fold and that would include the Gentiles so um, and at that point, then they get a chance to hear his voice. So, all right. Time remaining. So it would make sense. So questions, questions on this. I think uh, John 10 is just magnificent, especially if you're able to see it in its historical context for that morning in the village where they are, and then the, the afternoon in the high mountain village and then you get all the temple symbolism that now begins to rise up and say they're being treated in high mountain pastures where they're being fed and there is a door and the door is guided over by the savior he's the door or the temple recommend guy either one <laughs> may do that okay make sense all right i think it's the veil actually yeah well the veil's yeah second one okay all right, final chapter. Let's take a look at what Peter is going to say here. And Peter actually completes, when they think about the thousand year history of, the, of uh, imagery in the Bible around the, the 23rd Psalm, Peter creates, is the final step on that of a thousand years. Uh-oh, what did we do? Oh, okay. I encourage the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness to the suffering of Christ and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed. Uh, if you look, if you actually look in the first book of Acts, where, they're, where they're, now they've got to replace Judas, we have to come up with a number member of the twelve. We've got to replace member of the quorum of the twelve. Who's that going to be? And, and they put two requirements on who are we going to add as the twelfth new member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Okay? Number one, they have to have been witness, they have to be, uh, uh, have been with us from the beginning. And they specifically say in Acts, we want somebody that started with John the Baptist and has been with us and, and come all the way through. Okay, so somebody that was with from the beginning, 
John the Baptist. Number two, they must have been eyewitnesses of Jesus in his comings and goings, it says. Comings and goings. In other words, who's been with us from the beginning and did what? Heard his voice. This and, and that brought that brought them down to like two main candidates, and then they drew lots. Which, if you remember, the drawing of lots, which we think is kind of weird. We're going to draw straws, or we're going to take sticks, and we're going to throw it in a certain direction. The belief was is that the drawing of lots was divinely guided by God. When when Nephi and the boys uh, are deciding who's going to go confront uh, uh, Zoram for the no, Zoram. Laban. Laban, for the plates, they draw lots. Not because it's just by chance, it's because God will lead it, the lots, to the right person. And in this case, it would be the eldest son. It would fall on him. What a shocker. Okay, so, so they're saying, so, I encourage the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ... By the way, they're not sure that Peter necessarily penned the book of Peter, uh, but they certainly drew heavily on, it's his book, and there's enough information there to suggest it is Peter, he's just writing way better than a, than a, a fisherman should be writing. Because Peter is actually one of the most lyrical books in all the New Testament. It, it, it really is good. But he says, I'm a witness to the suffering, and then he says, All right, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, watching over it, not by compulsion, but willingly as God would have it, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. What's that echoes of? Yes, absolutely. And, and if you're going to minister... Do we have, did we just talk about a, a servant that was a hireling who was only in it for the money? Think about the shepherd at the door of the sheepfold who runs when the wolf comes. That was a hireling. That was a, that was a hired dude. That he, that he doesn't own the sheep. He's only interested in his own stuff, and he will run when the wolf comes. So we need to be shepherds. Yeah, so we're going to be shepherds. Who, and the difference between a, a shepherd and a servant? We're willing to do it. We're willing to lay down our life. We own the sheep. We feel a sense of ownership to our ministering brothers and sisters. We feel a sense of ownership to our ward. We're, we're, we're invested. We're eager. I mean, most of you who have kids, wouldn't you lay down your life for your kids? Yeah. Yeah, you would. Why? Because they're yours. Because <laughs> that's what you would do. And he's saying, if you're going to be that kind of shepherd, then have that level of, of interest in saying, would I lay down my life for the, for the sister that I minister for? Yeah, I just don't want to do, I just don't want to sacrifice my time too much. <laughs> Okay. Shepherding the flock among not by compulsion but willingly as God would have it, not for shameful profit but eagerly. Do not lord over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock, meaning lead from the front and they will follow your voice. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That has references back to the 23rd Psalm. When somebody was going to receive, like in the Olympic Games, they're going to receive a crown of glory at the end of the race. Do you know what comes next? The feast. If I'm going to get a crown of glory, you're going to prepare a table before me in the presence of the people I defeated, <laughs> and my cup runneth over. Now, go on. there is one other piece with Peter. Remember, this, this is what we just pulled from the twenty from the John ten. 
He's a servant, not a shepherd. The wolf seizes them. They get scattered. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. Uh, all of the beautiful things that are there. Look what Peter is kind of wrapping up with in, in 1 Peter 5. Be sober-minded, shepherds. Think about all of us and our ministering tasks. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to consume. Who's that sound like? It's the wolf. He's using the lion, but it is the wolf. The wild animals of the wilderness, most prominent in Israel, were going to be wolves and lions. Samson killed lions. David killed lions. There were a lot of lions. So it's the wild animals of the wilderness. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking for someone to consume. Stand against him. Where? In the door of the sheepfold. Stand against the, the lion. Stand against the wolf. Be the, the, like the good shepherd. Protect those in the fold and be willing to stand in the way. Not like a hireling who runs, but like the shepherd who stays and is willing to do something interesting. That is, you might be willing, you may have to give your life for the sheep. Did Peter? Did Paul? They all did. Did Joseph Smith? Yeah. Knowing that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are experiencing currently similar sufferings. There are those, even today, we, we get all these stories of Christian villages being burned in Africa because they're Christian. It has been the lot of Christians throughout to have to sometimes give their lives for the sheep. And, that, and that's basically what he's concluding with. You may have to give your, the ultimate sacrifice to protect the sheep, but still stand in the door and don't run. Be like the Savior who is the door. Yeah. People will always say, you know, I'll give my life for my children or I'll give my life for the church. Um, and that's probably easier to say than doing the nitty gritty things that you're required to do every day. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, people will say, I'll give my life for my child, but don't ask me to give it my Saturday to do because I want something I want to do and they, they need my time. So when I like that, be sober minded, be watchful. That, that, that's what he's, you know, you probably won't have to give up your life, but you're going to have to change your life. Yeah, yes. Become the kind of person that, that when that, the sheep have a natural instinct, he said, that when danger comes or the wrong thing comes, they know it and they go crazy. People aren't that way. <laughs> no, and that's why I've always loved uh, Neil Maxwell's view of the, the sacrament table talking about we used to sacrifice the animals on the altar. Now what we do is we sacrifice the animal inside us. That that has to be defeated. Yeah. Well, you've got the sheep holding Christians. Haven't we just been told that the sheep holds all of us? Yeah. Yeah, and that we should invite everybody we can find, come into the sheepfold. The wilderness is a dangerous place. There are wolves, there are lions. Please come. And that's a come and see. Come into the fold and experience what it means to be protected by and, and a place where the wolves can be defeated. You go out there, you're, you're taking your life in your hands, literally. I think that's a great point. So, all right. So, six hours of sheepology. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, I just, the, the imagery, and again, just listening to conference gives you some idea of how deep this, this imagery and the metaphor runs across all, all generations. It's just universal. So, any final comments on any of this? Yeah. Yeah, just 
Yes. Yeah. It was it Elder Bednar? No, no. Ballard. Elder Ballard, yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, and the, and you see them wear out their lives uh, for the protection of the sheep. So, and we've just watched it this weekend. So, I, I, I again, the if, if somewhere along the line, if this doesn't quite touch your heart, you're just not listening. <laughs> Because I, I think it does, because it, and the image ultimately of the sheep who is defenseless, doesn't have any natural ability to fight back. It just wouldn't have been the same imagery if we're like, we're going to have a sheepfold full of lions, <laughs> or a sheepfold full of, you know, panthers or something like that. No, it's sheep. It's sheep that have to be loved and protected and led and guided and have to surrender to the voice of the, the shepherd. The, the imagery is perfect for us. So I bury my testimony. The, the, Savior, the Savior's teachings, touching on all these universal chords, was something that he was a master at. And, and I'm grateful we're being able to spend the time to do this. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our dear Father in heaven, we're grateful for this beautiful day. We're so thankful for the scriptures and for the inspiration that we have felt this day. We pray that we can take this information and share it with those that we love and care about. And pray for our guidance to please be with us and help us to know what to say. And help us to do the best we can each day to honor our Savior's sacrifice. And we say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, next week, uh, kind of a little bit related to here, but uh, going a little bit different direction, we're going to start with the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son <coughs> and, and how that fits into all of this. So. See you next week. See some of you on Friday night.